wondered why memories are so important to us? If you ever ask someone what is the first thing they'll grab if their house, house ever catches on fire, it's inevitably pictures. Pictures are our memories of the past. Pictures are our visas of the past. Just recently, I was looking over some of my pictures that I was taking here in Scotland, reminiscing of the great times that my wife and I have had thus far. And I came across my favorite memory. November 30th, 2002, St. Andrew's Day. The one time every year that the Royal and Ancient Golf Club is open to ordinary people like myself. I've been a lover of golf ever since I was in high school. Spent countless hours on the golf course, perfecting my grip, working on my swing, fixing my stance. But if I have to be totally honest with you, most of the time on the golf course has been spent looking for my wayward golf balls. No matter how much I tried or how hard I worked, they just never seemed to go straight. I've played golf here in Scotland a few times, and the rough here is impossible to find golf balls. I've lost more golf balls here than I think in my entire lifetime. It was my favorite memory because there was just a sense in which there was history there. There was, I remember walking up to the Royal Ancient Club and, and being welcomed, and I walked in the doors and I was just, I was just impacted by a sense of nostalgia and history. Some of the greatest golfers ever to play the game have walked through these doors, have sat in these chairs. As I walked in, I looked to the left, and there's a, a trophy room, trophies of, with names engraved of past and previous winners of those tournaments. And I looked up, and there's pictures of Bobby Jones, Tom Morris, people who've revolutionized the game of golf. As I made my way around the corner, I continued to walk through the hall, and on the left, I found myself in a big, huge lounge filled with leather chairs. And there was wood paneling around the entire room with names engraved of past and previous and future, eh, not really future, but past members of the, the um, Royal and Ancient Club. And I just, I sat down in one of the chairs and began to just daydream. I was looking at the pictures of old golfers and looking at their names and daydreaming, thinking to myself, I bet that the chair that I'm sitting in right now is Jack Nicholas's favorite chair. When he comes here, he sits here. This is where he chats with his buddies like Gary Player, Lee Trevino. Pictures are our visas to the past. We have memories and we, we enjoy remembering those things that have really influenced our lives. Pictures don't only allow us to remember the past, but they challenge us to dream. Today, we're going to meet a person who just got back from walking down memory lane in history. Hebrews chapter 13, found on page 1211, is a, is a conversation almost that the author of Hebrews is having with us. And he's telling us and helping us to reflect on past and future leaders of the church. Hebrews chapter 13, verses 7 through 17. 
It begins, Remember your leaders who spoke to you the Word of God. Consider the outcome of their way of life and imitate their faith. Jesus Christ is the same yesterday, today, and forever. Do not be carried away by all kinds of strange teachings. It is good for your heart to be strengthened by grace, not by ceremonial foods, which are of no value to those who eat them. We have an altar for which those who minister at the tabernacle have no right to eat. The high priest carries the blood of animals to the most holy place as a sin offering. But the bodies are burned outside the camp. And so Jesus also suffered outside the city gate to make the people holy through his own blood. Let us then go to him outside the camp, bearing the grace he bore, the disgrace he bore, excuse me. For when we do not have an enduring city, but we are looking for the city which is to come. Though Jesus, through Jesus, therefore, let us continually offer to God a sacrifice of praise, the fruit of lips that confess His name. And do not forget to do good and to share with others, for with such sacrifices God is pleased. Obey your leaders and submit to them, submit to their authority. They keep watch over you as men who must give an account. Obey them so that their work will be a joy and not a burden, for they would not be no advantage to you. The author of Hebrews is telling us to remember the godly leaders of the past because it gives us a picture of a pleasing life. Remembering godly leaders gives us a picture of those who have lived a pleasing life to God. Much like the, the sort of hall of fame of golf at the Royal and Ancient Golf Club, we too have a very similar thing. Just earlier in this uh, book, Hebrews chapter 11, the author is going through a list of names of godly men and women who have sacrificed all for serving Christ. Imagine yourself walking down the corridors of history with the names engraved on the walls. As you walk, you see Noah, a man who sacrificed all against the scrutiny of the world to build an ark. Why did he do it? God told him. And then you see Abraham and Sarah desperately waiting for a, a son. And then God asks him to give up his son. I always wondered how he could do it. But God told him. You have others like Job and Daniel and Ruth and Esther. People who have paved the way for radical faith. People who have paved the way in serving God. The author of Hebrews, in these first couple verses, is telling us to remember godly leaders. Not only because it has given us a chance to remember that they have served God at all costs, but also, it's a chance for us to dare to dream. To dare to dream that the same God that they served is the same God we do. In verse 8, he really brings that home to us. He said, Jesus Christ is the same yesterday, today, and forever. Now, this isn't some verse that's just added in there. Some verse that just kind of got misplaced. It's not even a real description of who Christ is. It is the absolute foundation 
is the absolute reason that we can do what God has called us to. It's the same God that Noah and Abraham and Isaac and Jacob and Ruth and Esther, same God they served. It's absolutely the same God we serve. The same God that they served through difficult times is the same God we do. In A.D. 64, a fire broke out in Rome. The fire consumed cities and swept through the entire, uh, almost all the provinces of Rome for five days. It was only hindered by the Tiber River. After the fire, they, they took account of the damage. Ten of the 14 provinces of the city were completely leveled. The emperor at the time, Nero, couldn't take the blame on himself, so felt that he had to find a scapegoat. And he pointed the finger at a small community of Christians within the city. It was during that time that one of the most horrific persecutions that Christianity has ever faced was seen. Christians were fed to starving animals in the Colosseum while others watched. Others had wax poured on them and were used as human torches to light Nero's palace as he entertained guests. It is to these Christians that the author of Hebrews is writing. It is to this horrific persecution, these Christians who are dealing with some of the most difficult times they've ever faced, it is to them that he's writing. And he's telling them, first and foremost, remember those who have gone before you, those who have sacrificed all, and dare to dream that the same God they serve is the same God you do. He also continues on in verse 9 and says, Do not be carried away by all kinds of strange teachings. It is good for our hearts to be strengthened by grace and not by ceremonial foods, which are of no value to those who eat them. We have an altar from which those who minister at the tabernacle have no right to eat. The author is telling these Christians here that they will be tempted by many doctrines and many teachings that require less. But they must hold firm to what God has taught them. I mean, make no mistake about it. Can you imagine yourself in the midst of a persecution that terrible? These Christians are faced with life and death situations. The comfort and the temptation for them would be to hide under the banner of Judaism. To go back to being Jewish and not confessing to be Christian, their life would inevitably be spared. But if they confess to be Christians, inevitably their life would be forfeit. And they would be thrown to animals or burned. You and I are the same way. We will be tempted by many teachings that require less, but must hold firm to God's commitment. This really comes home to me when I remember Melinda and Doug. Melinda and Doug were elated when they gave birth to a little baby boy named Ryan. Like most baby boys, he was exuberant and excited. Absolute pride of his parents. But it was at eight months that the bad news came. On a routine doctor's visit, Ryan was diagnosed with juvenile arthritis and juvenile epilepsy. It was a heartbreak for Melinda and Doug. 
through countless treatments and drugs, he would still have four to five seizures a day. Plans completely changed for Melinda and Doug. Melinda would completely have to devote herself to the care of her young son, Ryan. But she says, we are learning so much as we watch him go through this. She says, when Ryan begins to have a seizure, he just begins to shake uncontrollably. His eyes begin to frantically dance around the room looking for me or Dad. And when he finds us, his eyes just lock in. As soon as we find out what's going on, we run over to him and hold him. His eyes fixed in ours. She says, we are learning so much as we, learn, as we watch him go through this. For Jesus, life shakes me so. And sometimes I feel so out of control. Help me fix my eyes on you. I think that that's exactly the response that God is calling us to in this chapter of Hebrews. How do you and I respond when times get tough? When life seems to shake us uncontrollably? What do we do? How do we respond? In verse 11 of this chapter, I think the author of Hebrews tells us exactly how we respond. And I think it's exactly the same as Melinda and Doug responded with their young son, Ryan. It says, The high priest carries the blood of the animals to the most holy place as a sin offering, but the bodies are burned outside the camp. And so Jesus, also suffering outside the gate, to make the people holy through his own blood, let us then go out to him outside the camp, bearing the disgrace he bore. God calls us to a radical commitment to follow Him to places that are not comfortable. To follow Him to the places that we aren't as comfortable as we would be. God calls us to a radical commitment to follow Him outside the places we are comfortable. The temptation for the Jewish Christians was to fall back under the banner of Judaism and to be safe. To have their life spared. But God was calling them to follow Him outside the gate. There's some beautiful Old Testament imagery in this passage. There's a few things that I think He really wants us to think about when we think about Christ suffering outside the gate. First one is is that one time every year, two animals were sacrificed. It was on the Day of Atonement. And the animals were sacrificed as as a sin offering. And they bore the sins of the people. And because these animals were considered to be unclean, they were taken outside the camp and burned. What the author wants us to picture here is Jesus as that sacrificial animal. The one who suffered outside the gate. He bore your sin and mine, suffering on the cross for our sake. The second thing I think he wants us to picture He's found in Exodus 33, verses 7 to 11. I don't have time to read it. But the general description is that when the Israelites built a golden calf, 
God removed His presence from outside the camp. Anyone who wanted to meet with God had to go outside the camp. The picture is of Jesus being removed, removing His presence from the people who no longer cared to serve Him. Bearing His reproach, following Christ outside the camp, the picture is, is that Jesus crucified and died outside the camp, that we might follow Him there. He was rejected by the people He came to serve. The walls of the church in the, during the time of the Israelites were a safety net for them. That they had an opportunity to, to spare their life if they would confess to be Jews and not Christians. And so it offered a bunch of security and comfort if they would just remain Jews. I think that it's somewhat strange to think that the, the church that God created and that God made can sometimes become a hindrance to us. can sometimes keep us so comfortable that we end up not having this radical commitment to follow Christ at all costs. To remember those who have gone before and to follow Christ no matter what. The people have, people have done it before. God is calling us to remember those who have gone before us and sacrificed all for Him and who followed Christ at all costs and to follow Him outside the camp. No matter what the cost. If you're a a non-Christian here today, you might be thinking that this seems a little strange. It might even seem a little expensive. You're right. The decision to follow Christ outside the camp and to follow Christ in general is a costly decision. But make no mistake about it. Any decision we make has a cost associated with it. There's a decision that you need to make today. You need to decide whether or not you're willing to follow Christ outside the camp. That His sacrifice on the cross was the payment for your sin and the opportunity for you to be a part of God's family. But the problem with this passage is that none of us are off the hook. Non-Christians are not the only ones that have a decision to make today. This is a a risky decision that you and I both have to make. Are we willing to follow Christ outside these walls? Are we willing to make our Sunday worship our Monday sacrifice? The God we worship here on Sundays, the being taught in God's Word, the things that we learn are for the express purpose of going outside these walls and sharing that message with others. It's a risky decision. It's a costly decision. But God is calling both you and me to follow Him outside the camp. But He doesn't leave it there. There's a benefit to following Christ outside the camp. And it comes in verse 14. 
It says, for here we do not have an enduring city, but we are looking for the city that is to come. He's saying that this place and this world is not our home. The comforts that we feel within this place are only temporary. God is calling us to follow Him to places that we would have never dreamed of. Remember when we spoke of Hebrews chapter 11 and the pictures of those who have gone before. Remember the call is to dare to dream. To dare to dream that God can use you and me in ways that we would have never dreamed of. But it begins with just one decision. And it's a yes or no answer for you and me both. Will you follow me? Just imagine yourself just for one minute. Just picture yourself inside this sanctuary. And outside, Jesus is calling your name. And he's saying, I only have one question for you. I only want you to do one thing. Will you follow me? Will you follow me? It's a question that we have to answer. But there's a benefit in it. And that benefit is that we have a lasting city, a future hope. That, that this book and this chapter was writ- written to weary Christians in the midst of the most difficult persecution they'd ever faced in their life. But God was calling them to follow Him. But imagine, imagine these Christians when they get to heaven after serving God and life and death situations. They get to heaven, their lasting city, and they make the Prince of Peace. The comfort and the feel and the, the peace that we feel in this life is only temporary. It is when we get home as a church, you and me, in our home, that true peace will be found as we sit at the feet of the Prince of Peace. That is just a wonderful promise that we have. And the, the reason that we absolutely need to do what God is calling us to do here. It's not an easy decision, but it's a decision that you and I both have to make. I remember when I was in Alaska, I was sea kayaking for a month with a group of friends. We, we had been kayaking all day, and I was so tired. I finally made my way or the whole group did, made their way to a beach where we set up camp. I was so tired that I set up camp as quickly as I could on this rocky beach. I cleared away some rocks and set up my tent and just went to bed. It was absolutely the worst night of sleep I've had in my entire life. Rocks poking in my back and in my neck and on my head. and just terrible. But I remember waking up the next morning thinking, I'm really glad that this beach is not my home. I don't have to live here forever. The pains and the struggles that we face in this life are like rocks poking in our back and our neck. The difficulties that we face aren't easy. But God is calling us to realize that this place is not our home. You and I are here for a purpose. We are pilgrims on a journey with a purpose. 
And that purpose is to share God's love with all that we come into contact with. In our jobs, in our families, in our hobbies, whatever the case may be, God is calling you and me to follow Him. As He continues on in verses 15 through 17, He says, Through Jesus, therefore, let us continually offer a sacrifice of praise, the fruit of lips that confess His name. And do not forget to do good, to share with others, for with such sacrifices God is pleased. Obey your leaders and submit to their authorities. They keep watch over you as men who must give an account. Obey them so that their work will be a joy and not a burden, for that would be of no advantage to you. In verse 15, he's saying that as pilgrims, we are called to follow Christ at all costs. We are called to follow Christ at all costs. He says, therefore, let us continually offer up a sacrifice of praise. I think what he's saying here is that he wants us to make our Sunday worship our Monday sacrifice. When I think of sacrifice of praise, I think of sacrifice that hurts. Or at least sacrifice or praise or worship that at least costs something. You and I are here in this church today because God wants to use us as Christians in the world. He wants to use us to help implement His worldview, His changes. He wants people to come into His kingdom and His family. And you and I are part of that. Dare to dream like Noah dreamt that God could use him. God uses us just as much as He's going to use as He used Noah and Abraham and Isaac. As pilgrims without a home, this verse says that we are strengthened only by Christ and His church. We are strengthened only as we come together to worship our Lord and Savior, as we encourage one another in love and good deeds, and challenge one another to do what God has called us to do. In a book called Chicken Soup for the Soul, it's made up of many stories about many different people. I came across one not that long ago. It was a story of a four-year-old girl named Shia. She was anxious and excited at the birth of her little brother. They came when she was four years old. She continually bombarded her parents with questions. She wanted to know if she could have just a private conference with her little brother. She just wanted to pull him aside to talk to him, to let him know how things were. The parents were a little concerned about this. They felt that she might just be doing this out of jealousy and might hurt him or shake him or try and do something bad to him. But as time went on and on, she didn't show any signs of jealousy. So they decided to let her have a private conference with the baby. She went into the room and shut the door, but it opened just a crack, enough for her curious parents to look in and listen. Shia went up to the little baby boy and put her face next to his and said, Baby, tell me what God feels like. I'm starting to forget. 
have to ask myself that same question. Do I forget what God feels like? That risky, edge-of-the-seat Christianity that God has called us to. I wonder if, for me, it's become sort of stale and mediocre. God is calling us to the most wonderful and fantastic life you can imagine. A risky life with a risky decision involved. The answer is either yes or no. Have you forgotten what God feels like? Have you forgotten that He wants to use you in your family, in your home, at work? God has a wonderful plan for each and every one of us. He wants to use us. By remembering the past and being grounded in God's Word, we have the hope of a future city that God has given us that we can do anything because this place is not our home. The decision for you and for me is to make our Sunday worship our Monday sacrifice. By remembering the past and being grounded in God's Word, we are outfitted with absolutely everything we need to live a life pleasing to God. And now, we must. God is calling you and me to live a life that is a risky life, an edge-of-the-seat, earth-shaking life where God can change us and challenge us. He's gone through and told us how we can do it. By remembering the past and being grounded in God's Word, we are outfitted with everything necessary to follow Christ. And now we must. Will you follow Christ today? Outside these walls, when you go home and Tomorrow when you wake up and go to work, will you hear Christ's call? Will you follow Him? I hope so. You and me both have a decision to make today. But we've been given everything we need to make that decision. Pray with me.